Wow, wow, wow. Welcome again. Oh, don't you just love the presence of Jesus? He's amazing. Wow, well, it's good. It's good to be up here. It's been a few weeks, I suppose, as we had Trisha preach last week. And then how many of you here were here for Kenny Blacksmith when he's here two weeks ago? Yeah, wasn't that awesome? So um, for those, since there's new people, and, and this is great because I get to sort of give a refresher, I suppose, each time when there's new people, we're in the middle of a lengthy, that's not the right word, long-term series. <laughs> I've been in this series since January 3rd, and, you know, I'm just going with however long the Lord leads, and it's been a long time, hasn't it? So um, talking about the importance of adopting an eternal perspective. And uh, since I haven't spoken in a few weeks, just to refresh your memory, I've been talking about now, we're in the midst of talking about the judgment seat of Christ, specifically the judgment of the believer, which is all of us, hopefully, we're all saved. And if that's the case, uh, we're all going to stand before the Lord one day. So um, on the, I, I just always kind of give this refresher slide uh, at the beginning, just for those of you who are new. Um, we're all going to stand before Jesus and be judged according to what we did in the body, whether good or bad. That's straight from 2 Corinthians 5.10. Um, and so we all have to give an account for how we lived our lives. And so the, the thing that's a little bit intimidating and why this is so important is that Scripture is clear that we, now this is the good news. The good news is we can, what we do, even the seemingly insignificant things we do, like giving somebody a cup of cold water, Jesus says, we're going to get an eternal reward for that if we do it in his name. With that being said, the unfortunate and the, the thing that produces the fear of the Lord, I think, is that we can have everything we've done in this life totally, completely burnt up, like all of our work gone. And, and that's from second, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, I'll be giving the scripture actually later, verses 10 through 15. So, so the rewards can range anywhere from having our entire life's work burnt up, yet we're saved, it says, to ruling and reigning with Christ beside him on his throne and everything in between. We could be the least in the kingdom or the greatest, according to Jesus. And so what at my heart is that we all get the assessment of our life, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That we would, when we each stand before the Lord one day, he's going to say, you did an awesome job, you stewarded everything well. And so my heart is really just to equip us so that we know what he's looking for. Because the Bible's so clear, and that's how I've been speaking for this so long. There's so much to it, but it's so clear how we live this life for eternity. How is it that we can live so that we get that well done, good and faithful servant assessment? And I'm going to be talking about that more today. Um, the thing also that's intense is that these judgments are called eternal judgments. One of the fundamental foundational doctrines of Jesus Christ, for those of you who've been here for a while know I used to always quote Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. There's five things that he considers the fundamental doctrines of Jesus Christ, the foundational doctrines, and one of them is eternal judgments. That's why I'm spending so much time on this. The fact of the matter is they're eternal. And I spent a couple sessions talking about how we can't even fathom eternity. How we live this life that's here now, tomorrow's gone, it's like a vapor, the Bible says. We have such a brief time on this earth to live fully for the Lord is going to determine 
Our positions, our ranks, our authority, the rewards we have forever. They're eternal judgments. That means they're forever. So when we stand before the Lord one day, that's it. There's no changes. There's, how he assesses our life in that moment is going to determine our eternal lives forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Never going to go on parole. Never going to get reassessed. It's forever. And so that's why this is such an important message. This is why I'm spending so much time on this, because I, I, the tragedy is not very many, in my experience, churches talk about this stuff, um, because it is kind of challenging. And we have so many people who don't, aren't even aware of this, that we're going to have to give an account to the Lord, even though the Bible's so clear on it, that I want, I want to thoroughly equip us so we're not naive and just going around life, kind of just bouncing around like Forrest Gump, but rather we have a def definite purpose and aim for our lives to fulfill that which God called us to fulfill, okay? So um, this is, now that we're talking about the believer's judgment, um, the believer's judgment is divided in two major categories, at least that's how we're doing it. There probably is more. But these are two major categories you can fit a lot of different things in. The first one, which is the one I've been talking about for the last couple sessions and going to be continuing today and probably moving on next week, but our involvement in building the kingdom of God according to our callings and gifts. So a few weeks ago, I talked about... Um, actually, I'm going to move on. Uh, if you want previous messages, I would, uh, you can, uh, we send them out in the weekly email. We post them on Facebook and that sort of thing. If you want, you can email Ottawa at catchthefire.com. We'll send you the MP3s, the teaching notes. I'm just realizing I have a lot to talk about today, so I don't want to uh, go over too much uh, repetition. But the point is we're talking about our callings. How do you find your calling? How do you fulfill your calling? Last time I talked about some of the hindrances to fulfilling your calling. So it is absolutely critical for us. We all have a calling that we fulfill that calling. Okay, so we're going to finish probably talking about that today. And then number two is how we build individual lives, including our own. Okay, so in, in regard to other people's lives, our, uh, according to our influence upon them, we all have influence on others, whether it's coworkers, friends, family, that sort of thing. Regard to our individual lives, how we cooperate with God's spirit and grace in developing Christ-like character. And I cannot wait to talk about that whenever that happens probably a few weeks from now. So another thing, and then I'll move on to today's lesson, um, is that our judgment will be a byproduct of how we respond to his spirit and his word, what we believed, and our obedience to him. Obedience, if nothing else, is the number one thing that is critical. That's it. Love, obedience. Obeying what the Holy Spirit tells us to do so that we can do what he's called us to do is the key. And in fact, Jesus defines love as, if you love me, what? You will obey my commands. That's how we prove his love, our love for him, is that we actually obey his commands. He says that over and over and over and over and over. So how do we love the Lord? Obey his commands. And if you remember when I talked about Saul and David in Acts 13, 22, the, uh, the Lord's assessment of David is he was a man after my own heart because he, will, he did all of my will. That's what made him a man after God's own heart, is that he did everything God told him to do. And that's how he showed his love for him. That's how he sought God's heart, is obedience and doing what God called him to do. Okay, and now I have a whole, I had, a, if you remember, had a whole message on the fact that our works, our words, our thoughts, our attitudes, and our motives are all going to be examined before the Lord, which is also kind of intense. So 
I'm going to actually be focusing a lot today on motives because we're talking about our calling and how that comes into play in the judgment seat. But more on that later. What I wanted to focus on, if you remember, I talked about the parable of the talents because that is so relevant to, to what I'm talking about today. Talking about different, quote-unquote, levels of gifts and calling. We have, there, we, it's, according to Scripture, we have different levels, for lack of a better word. Some people are called to nations, like Reinhard Bonnke, called to save millions of people. Some people are called to, to cities, right? Some people are called to regions. Some people are called to home group. And, you know, like everything in between. So the fact of the matter is not everyone's called to be Reinhard Bonnke. Not everyone's called to be Billy Graham, right? But if you are, it's important that you fulfill that. But if you're not, it is important that you don't covet that and that you find out what you're called to do and do that, right? And not go... Uh, out of envy and selfish ambition, trying to fulfill someone else's calling. We're going to be talking all about that, but I wanted to give you scriptural uh, 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 background on what I'm talking about here. So this is a key uh, portion of scripture, the parable of the talent. So this is from Matthew uh, 25, 14 through 18, this portion. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. We're talking about callings now. So this parable right? The, the, that's representative Jesus. He called his servants and he entrusted wealth to them. So to one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another uh, one talent, according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the one uh, man who'd received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Okay, so what, what I already said and what I want to emphasize, this parable clearly illustrates that we as believers have different levels of calling, different levels of gifts, and we're called to steward what God entrusted us to steward, right? So the one talent person uh, is given, so to speak, a talent of money. Well, here it's a talent of money, but a certain portion of influence or authority or gifts or call, Right? The other person has five, and that's what that person's called to entrust. So the point is that we are given, according to our abilities, God gives us different callings. And why is this important is because we, it's important because we need to be content in what God's called us to do. For, for the Bible's clear that even our abilities, right, it says according to their ability, even our abilities are given by God, Okay. So this is just one scripture, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It says, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you re did receive it, why do you boast as though you didn't? He was rebuking them because some people were like, oh, look at me. Look how gifted I am. And he's, Paul's like, you received everything, right? You can't boast that it has anything to do with you because it's from God that you even receive the abilities to do what you're doing. You know what portion of scripture I love, and it's so relevant today, is John 3, verses 26 to, I think, 28. Talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist had huge influence before the Messiah came, Jesus, right? And he had, he was like it. He was like the revival center spokesperson of Jerusalem in his day. And then what happened is Jesus came, and, he and all these people started flocking to Jesus. So his disciples come up to him. 
And they're like, hey, this guy you prophesied about, everyone's going to him now. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what they said. Everyone's going to him now and being baptized. Like, you know, and jo- you know what John says? He, d- he doesn't have any envy. He has no selfish ambition. He says something like this, that you don't, you, whatever you have is received from heaven. I can only do what's received from heaven. And then he says, I'm rejoicing that the bridegroom's here and that I get to even witness him. And then he says, I must decrease, he must increase. So he's totally content. He, has, he does not care. He has no ounce of selfish ambition or envy. He's just glad that Jesus is doing what he's doing. And he's like, I, you know, I can only do what I've received. And so, you know, now it's his time. I'm done. That's fine. I'm rejoicing, in fact. And that's the attitude we need. If someone down the road is getting all these thousands of people, but the kingdom's advancing, we should be rejoicing. We should be praying for them. We should be blessing them financially. Our joy is the fact that the kingdom of heaven is being released, whether it's through us or not. If it's being released, it would be wisdom for us to pray and bless and partner with them somehow. The church down the road, if so to speak. You see what I'm saying? That's the attitude we need. That's why I love that portion of scriptures. John the Baptist is such a humble man, and we can learn a lot from him. So I just have here as examples, some people from ministry, like I already said, called to reach nations, other cities, others home groups. You can, this can be applicable to anything. If you're a writer, right? Some writers are called to influence nations. Some may be 10,000 people. Some may be domestic, like your own nation. Some may be the church bulletin and everything in between. Or if you're a business person, some of, some of you might be called to help be a CEO for a huge multinational corporation. Some of you might be called to own the corner store down the road, right? You see what I'm saying? Knowing this and understanding this could be really, really beneficial to us. That's why I'm spending some time on this because if we understand what we're called to do and we walk in that, that's where contentment is. We're always looking at the people who have so much more influence. The question is, are you, but are you called to have that influence? If you are, that's one thing. But if you're not, if you're called just to influence your uh, home group or whatever, then it's important for you to be content with that and to do that with all of your heart rather than out of selfish ambition or envy or whatever, trying to do the Reinhard Bonnke thing if you're not called to that, right? So Matthew 25, this is continuing on, verses 19 through 21. It talks about how after a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them, talking about the judgment seat of Christ when we meet him one day. The man who'd received five talents brought five others. He, master, he said, you entrusted me with five. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The one thing I want to emphasize here, and I have it underlined, is the fact that how we steward what we're entrusted with in this life is going to determine the authority God gives us in the age to come. Like I said earlier, the positions we have, and we're going to be talking about this more in weeks to come, the positions we have, the amount of authority we have in the coming millennium, all that stuff's determined by how we steward what we're called to do in this life. Okay? Now look at this. The guy with the two talents. Same thing. He gave two talents. He's like, look, I got two more. He doubled it. He gets the exact same praise as the five-talent person, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So the point is the two who doubled what they were entrusted with were rewarded the exact same. 
the kingdom of God doesn't operate how the, the world system does. In the world, we would assume five is always better than two, no matter what. So we're always trying to do five, so to speak. But that, that we cannot change the level of influence and authority God's given us. We just have to steward what he's given us. We're not all called to be the five-talent person, are we? But if we steward the two talents that we've been given, so to speak, we're going to get the exact same praise as the five-talent Reinhard Bonkies. Does that make sense? So that's, that's the freedom of this, is that God only requires us to be faithful with what he's given us. If he operated the same as the world, then we would all be selfish, ambition, entrepreneurs, trying to just get everything right. Be all, we'll all try and be Reinhard Bonkies. That is not how God operates. God has called each and every single one of us to do a specific work. We cannot add to that. We, the only thing we can do is mess it up. And that's where the fear of the Lord comes in, is, is we cannot add to the calling God's given us, so to speak. So the point is they're both faithful, they're both diligent, um, and the level five servant wasn't uh, praised any more than the level two. Now, one thing I wanted to note, okay, there's sovereignty, there's free will. Notice that. Both of them who doubled their investment, they put it to work. They put the money to work, which suggests that even though God gives us gifts and callings, we have a part to play, don't we? We have to partner with it and actually do something with what God's entrusted with us in order to hit the desired return for Jesus. And how, so, right, they had to actually do something. This is also illustrated by the one talent person who didn't do anything and was royally rebuked for being lazy, which suggests you need to actually work, right, co-workers with Christ, work and cooperate with the grace of God in order to produce those results. So it's not all we have nothing to do. We have to actually do something. Now look at, this is the rebuke of the one person, a talent person. He says, so this is verse 24 to 26. Then the man who'd received one talent comes, Master, he said, I knew that you, had a, you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Isn't that interesting? He calls him wicked for not doing anything with what God's entrusted him. God actually defines righteousness in terms of stewardship. I've actually heard that about a third of the Bible, you know how what it defines righteousness as? It's in, always in the context of stewardship, often with money. Isn't that interesting? He's talking about money here. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So in other words, you should have at least done something. You should have at least done something. Even if it was something as going to the bank, and putting it in there so you get interest, you should have done something with what I gave you. Now look at what, is a set, what he says, is the consequences. So take the talent, this is verse 28, from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. So I talked about this two times ago when I talked, about living without regret. The fact of the matter is, and there's scriptures that indicate this, that we can actually squander our calling, lose it, and God will give it to someone else who will, who will actually fulfill it if we don't do it. And I gave you scriptural examples. I gave you personal uh, examples of well-known prophets and people who this happened to. You guys remember, just to give you, uh, if you weren't here, Saul and David. Saul squandered his calling, and what did God do? He said, I'm taking the kingdom from you and giving it to David, a man after my own heart who's better than you, 
right? And is, is going to actually do what I've, I, you were supposed to do. And so this is also gives us the fear of the Lord, knowing that we need to, we need to steward what God's entrusted us with, even if it's the one talent. This seems kind of unfair. Why is the one talent guy going to the one talent going to the ten talent guy? Because the ten talent guy stewarded the five talents he was given, doubled it. So God's going to entrust the one talent to him, right? So Jesus says this: For whoever has will be given more, and he'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is obviously intense. So. That's important stuff, that we steward what God's given us, right? We need to do something with it. We need to advance the kingdom, even if it's with one talent. Who knows? Maybe the one talent person's like, why did you give me one talent? That's not fair, right? Why, why did you give that guy five and me one? He could have been kind of bitter. Look at me. I got this lousy little whatever home group or something, and there's five talent bonky over there winning millions. Why am I, right? Selfish and envy, selfish ambition, even if we're given the one talent, that, there's a lot of glory on that, and Jesus still expects us to do something with it. Nothing's insignificant. In fact, you know, I remember, I think it was Rick Joyner saying, they used to ask people, go around because he traveled a lot, how many of you were saved by, like, television, like, um, Christian television, you know, online programs, that kind of thing? It was maybe 2% of the, all the time. It was like 2% of people got, like, you know, on the online our TV show. How many of you are, were saved by friends, family, people you knew? 98%. So, in other words, most of us, in fact, how many of us were saved because of family, friends, or people, close people we knew? Why don't we do this? Raise, raise your hands. How many of you were saved by other, in other ways? See, it's almost the same here. There's four of you who were saved in other ways. Most of us were saved because of close friends. So, don't underestimate the impact you're having on the one. Heidi Baker, right? The one, your, your friend, your coworker, because it's most, that's how this kingdom gets spread. It's the mustard seed. And so don't underestimate. If you're a one-talent person, that's awesome. We're not all called to be five-talent people, right? And it's, good, it's important for us not to judge because we don't know who the five-talent people are and who the two-talent are and the one are. So we, it's all we need to know is, God, what have you entrusted me with? What have you called me to so I can do that? Okay? doesn't matter what Bonky down the street's doing. What am I called to do? So that's, that's the point here. God doesn't reward according to what we do, but according to the righteous at works of obedience, what we were called to do and what he's empowered us to accomplish. Now, an important point is results are not the indication of success. Obedience is. That's what the point is. Okay? Like, if we are operating under the world system, it's always about results. We define results in terms of success, right? Like, oh, the billionaire down the road, he's successful. But the person who has the corner store over there, 20000 a year or whatever, not successful. That's how we define it. Not according to God. How God defines it is, were you obedient to what I called you to do, regardless if you had one talent or five talents, were you obedient to that? Not, not according to results. Does that make sense? Though so you need to have results if we, depending on what you're called to do. I'm, you see what I'm saying, right? The five and the two person were rewarded the same. So, and the, and the other good news I want to share is you don't have to be in full-time ministry to get the greatest rewards. Hallelujah. Amen. So we often look at the people on the platform saying, oh, Bonky's going to get this huge accolade, and he probably will, right? 
But look at little old me. I'm working my nine to five, doing this and that and the other. The one talent person, right? No way. You know, I talked about this before, and I was tempted to do this again, but I always talk about the Final Quest book, right? You guys remember the Final Quest, Rick Joyner goes to heaven. Most of the book he spends in the, in the throne room, the judgment seat of Christ, which is why I'm quoting it so much, because there's so much amazing revelation in it. You know what was cr- what's crazy about that book, and what's partly so impactful, is the people who were least in the kingdom after they passed away, he was interacting with a bunch of people, were some of the most famous people on earth. He ran into, he doesn't say names, but you can guess who they are, a famous reformer who changed the course of history. He talked about this famous Christian writer. He thought his writings were the best, like, out of everything other than the Bible, and he was one of the least. All these people you think, because history makes you think they're so amazing, are in the back of heaven. And then he said when he got to the throne room, and like to the Christ, and there's people ruling and reigning beside him, he said the most... The, and I talked about this on Mother's Day. The people who occupied the most thrones were praying women and mothers. That was the single most uh, uh, populated group who, who made it to the throne. The people we don't even know about, right? And he said, don't get me wrong. There were people who we do know about who were there who were faithful. But, but don't be deceived. The kingdom of heaven does not operate like the world, Okay. The point is we need to do, I can't say this enough, what we're called to do, even if we're a stay-at-home single mom praying or whatever, right? There's a lot of glory on that. You could be ruling and reigning beside Jesus if you're faithful to that, if that's what you're called to do, okay? So, talked about different levels, okay? That was the parable of the talents. Now I want to talk about different types of gifts and calling because we're not all called to be the same thing either, and the Bible's really clear on this, and maybe that goes without saying, but I want to emphasize these scriptures because really, um, I'll get to that later. I've got to stay on track here. So the key point is each of us has different uh, call from God, and we've been given diff- the grace and ability to fulfill it. So we're all given gifts, graces, the abilities to do what we're called to do specifically, whether the calling is to lead or to follow, to be well-known or behind the scenes, we're all equally valuable and important to God's, in God's eyes. Whether you're impacting nations or just a few of your coworkers, it makes no difference, none, as long as you are in God's will for your life. Bob Jones used to say that whether I'm fishing or preaching to millions, the pay's the same if you're in the will of God, okay? That's the key. So here's some scriptures. I love these scriptures. Jesus, we're supposed to be like Jesus, right? Jesus is our ultimate example. This is John 4, 34 to 38. My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's it. That's Jesus saying, this is what I live for. This is my food. It's just to do God's will to finish his work, period. Remember, uh, I love this scripture. I don't have it here from Acts uh, 20, 24. When Paul says, my life means nothing to me. My one aim is to finish the race that Jesus has laid before me to preach the gospel to the, of his grace to the Gentiles. That's all I live for. Nothing else matters. It's just to do the will of God. And that's the perspective we should all adopt. Then Jesus goes on. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and, and harvests a crop for eternal life. 
Now, get this is where I'm going. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Two different callings. They each have a different task, okay? But they can be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. I remember this story. I don't know who the evangelist was. I, I heard someone say he was a famous evangelist, went to heaven, and the Lord showed her this woman who no one knows about had this huge crown, bigger than this guy's. And he's like, Lord, this guy impacted, we'll just say millions. I don't know how many. I don't even know who it was. Okay, really well-known evangelist. He's like, how come she has a bigger crown than me? And he said, it's because of her prayers that you're reaping that harvest. It's because of her prayers. Okay, so like I said, the kingdom doesn't operate how we do. We don't see these people behind the scenes praying for the harvest. You always see is the people on the platform reaping the harvest. We're like, oh man, that's awesome. And it is awesome. They rejoice together. But Jesus is even saying, someone sows, like the missionaries to Africa, who went <laughs> right, and, and sowed and labored in drudgery, you know, 150 years ago, so that bonkies reaping these millions now, right? Does that make sense? They, they, some of them might have had no fruit, okay? The point is they can be glad together because that's the point. Someone sows, another reaps, it's two different callings. So it doesn't make sense for us to always be looking at the reaper saying, oh man, I wish I was a reaper because maybe we're a sower. We're still going to be rewarded awesome in an awesome, lavish way if we're just faithful to that. Now here's 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 to 9, something similar. Paul's talking now. He says, what after is Apollos? And what's Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe is the Lord assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. That's the point. Like, only God can make something grow, right? It's all by grace. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. So this is like the sower and the reaper. We have one purpose together. But look at this. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Okay. For we are co-workers in God's service. You're God's field, God's building. So why am I saying this? Those who serve faithfully in the kingdom receive extravagant eternal wages. We're talking about eternal wages there. He says you'll be rewarded each according to your labor. And we'll be rewarded individually according to our labor. So we, that's why we have individual responsibility for fulfilling whatever God's called us to so we each have different responsibilities, but our different callings produce one result, and these are lives being impacted for eternity. So whether you're called to sow, to water, to reap, whatever, the point is we're all working together. We're the body of Christ. We're a family, and we should be rejoicing together at people's lives being impacted for eternity, right? Now, I wanted, so this is right after what I just read to you, talking about Paul and Apollos, you know, and if you look at the context, it's because these Corinthians were fighting over leaders. One's like, I follow Cephas, Peter. The other's like, I follow Paul. Someone's like, I follow Apollos. And another group of people, I follow Jesus. And he's like, you guys are just acting in the flesh. What does it, we all are working together. We have different tasks. I sowed, he's watering. The point is, it's only God who makes it grow, so to him be the glory. Don't be fighting over who does what. The point is, right, we're working together in this as, as the body of Christ. 
So verse 10, by the grace God has given me, and I highlighted that for a reason. I'll be talking about that in a minute. I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each should be built with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds with this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, the eternal, wood, hay, or straw, the temporal, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, talking about the judgment seat of Christ, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. Now, I talked about, a lot about this in the past. I won't go into too much detail. Other than I wanted to refresh your memories. Because like I said earlier, if we're faithful to the calling and we build with, for the eternal rather than the temporal, we're going to be rewarded eternally. If we're building for the temporal, the fleshly stuff, it's going to be burnt up even if we're saved. So we want to all be building for the eternal. Okay? So the work that receives a reward, so what's rewarded is one that honors the word of God, that's motivated by love, and that's a really important one, and is done before God's eyes instead of man's eyes. So at the judgment seat, and this is important, at the judgment seat, titles, prosperity, and fame are meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. What matters is your name known in heaven. Does, does God, does the angels and people know you, your name in heaven? Are you there praying, right, worshiping? Do they know who you are? Are you like someone who's just building for the now? What is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul, Jesus says, right? So none of that matters. What matters is faithfulness to God's will and faithfulness to God's will and calling for your life. That's what's going to be rewarded. Our goal should be to fulfill the task God's given us and not to chase after someone else's task. So important. How do we do this? How do we stay content? Remember this one thing, if nothing else. It is all by grace. Remember I highlighted that in just a minute ago in 1 Corinthians 3.10? By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. Paul says this over and over and over. By the grace of God, by the, Paul knew something. And this is why I want to emphasize, because it's only if we get this revelation that whatever we do and whatever impact we have for eternity, it's all by God's grace. All by God's grace. Like I said, even our ability, even the fact we're living and breathing right now is all by God's grace. So we can't take credit for any of it. So God's ordained certain works for us to do and the grace and gifts to do these works. It's crucial to realize that there's nothing we can do of eternal value apart from God giving us the ability to do it. This revelation that it's all by God's grace will keep us humble and help us not to boast in anything other than the Lord who gives us the talents we possess. Because the temptation is, oh, look at me. I'm impacted. I'm making this up. I'm impacting millions of people. Look at me. I'm so good. No way. No way. That is all God's grace. You can receive nothing unless it's given to you from heaven. Like I said earlier, from John the Baptist. Okay? So it, it is very unwise for us to get prideful if God's using us, and it is not an endorsement. It could be that you're a five-talent person. That has nothing to do with you other than cooperating with the grace God's given you. But all, if you can get this revelation, all of the results you're getting, everything, every last bit of it, 
is all by God's grace, then you won't get into pride. You will boast in the Lord. Jeremiah 9, and Paul quotes this a lot. Jeremiah 9, God's royally rebuking them. You're boasting in your wisdom. You're boasting in your wealth. And he says, boast in the Lord. Okay? So it's important for us to to boast in the Lord who gives us the wealth, who gives us the wisdom, because it has nothing to do with us ultimately. Now, Paul had this revelation. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 9 to 10. For I am the least of the apostles. What? Paul, you wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You planted more churches, from my understanding, than any of the other apostles at this point, having the most impact, and you're saying you're the least? Not false humility, because this is in the Scripture. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, but, verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it is his grace to me was no, not without effect. No, I worked harder than, than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Isn't that interesting? So Paul knows this, right? Paul knows this. He knows it was only by God's grace. And the fact that there's more results that he worked harder than them, he says that's grace too. So I can't even boast in the fact that I'm working so much harder than them because that's only by God's grace too, right? So, so it's important, if you go back one, please, you must be able, this is the key, you must be able to separate yourself from the grace of God and the ability of God that he placed in your life. You have to separate yourself from the grace. You have to know this is only by God's grace that he's using me Because if you don't, that's where pride seeps in. Oh, look at me, right? I just worked so hard and I prepared so much and therefore I'm having no way. If you're preparing more than others and you're having impact, it's because God gave you the grace to do it, period. You have to separate it. Not on your life, on other people's lives. Because then if you don't watch out, you're going to idolize people or envy them, not realizing, no, that's only by God's grace too. Paul realized that there's nothing he could do of eternal value that God didn't give him the ability to do, and that realization kept him humble. That's what enabled him to say, I'm the least of the apostles. And he believed it, because he knew it's only by God's grace. It's because I was on my way to kill some Christians, and Jesus appeared to me on the path, right? And, and, and that's the only reason I'm doing this. He knew that. If anyone had a revelation of grace, it's Paul. Now look at this, Romans 12. You know what's interesting? I was going to talk about this today. And how many of you heard uh, on Wednesday, Justin Trudeau talked about this very verse at the prayer, uh, 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 annual prayer thing. And I was like, Romans 12, 3 versus whatever he went. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. So Justin Trudeau quoted this earlier this week. Anyway, is it 3 to 20? So I'm 3 to 8. So he went even more than me. Good for him. <laughs> so look, Paul again. You you hear this over and over. Verse 3, For by the grace God has given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So the more faith God's giving you, the more sober you got to be in regards to this. You know God gives us the faith... Oh, someday I want to preach this. God gives us the faith to even believe. You look look at Ephesians 2, verse 8, where it says, we're saved by grace through faith, right? Not by work. God gives us that faith. How do I know? He says it not only right here, but you look at the gifts of the Spirit. One of them is faith. 
You look at the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is faith. This is the same word as those two. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit who gives you the faith to believe in the first place. We can't boast about that even, or else we'd make that a work. Okay, so for just as each of one of you is one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Remember, the section, it's all by grace. All of it. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, show it cheerfully. Thank you, Jesus, for all the gifts in this church. Like, you know, you see me and Trisha up here, but honestly, you guys are the ones who are making this thing happen. If it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't have hospitality. We wouldn't have sound. Thank you, Jesus, for Rob. We wouldn't have kids' church. Thank you for Kim and others who are volunteering. We wouldn't have a prayer team. We wouldn't have worship. You would have me and Trisha yapping up here all the time with nothing else. And you'd be, right? Like, thank you, Jesus, for all you guys. And that's the point is we're not all called to do the same thing. And I thank God for you guys who are doing these, like, serving, ushering, all this stuff that's needed and it's beautiful, and it's all by the grace of God. 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11 says something similar. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We talked about the talents. How do you steward what God's given you? Here, this is how you do it. Faithful service of God's grace, what he's given you in its various forms. How do you do it to serve others? That's the whole point. How do you steward what God's given you? What, the, the, God doesn't give you a gift of prophecy so you can go home by yourself and prophesy to yourself, right? It's all for the body. It's for edification to build the church up. So, so that's what he's saying here is like, hey, you want to steward and, and get the five more if you're a five-talent person? This is how you do it. Use what God's given you. It's grace to serve others. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, not you, so that God might be praised. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Remember, the greatest among us is the servant of all, says Jesus. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom? You want your assessment to be well done, good and faithful servant, <laughs> right? How do you do it? You serve. You serve what with God's given you. The way we steward God's grace is by using it to serve others. Now, 1 Corinthians, I'm just giving you a whole bunch of scriptures that say something similar in different ways. This whole chapter is relevant. Well, I just don't have the time, so I'm just giving you highlights of this chapter, though I'm talking most of it. But I highly recommend 1 Corinthians 12 talks all about what I'm talking about today. There's different kinds of gifts. This is verse 4 through 7. But the same Spirit distributes them. There's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, to serve others. And then I went dot, 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 because there's the nine gifts of the Spirit, if you want to look it up. Right? Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous power, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, discerning of spirits, prophecy. There you go. 
All of these are the work of one and the same spirit. Okay? And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So if we see Prophet Joe, we're like, oh, I wish I was Prophet Joe. It's only by grace, and the reason he's Prophet Joe is to bless you, to bless the church, to build up the church. And God gives us, he determines. There is so much freedom if you can get a hold of this, because then we won't covet other people's gifts and callings. Okay? If we can just be content with what God's called us to be, that is the key. And realizing it's all by grace, and he just does it how he determines. So I'm going to go on here. Just as a body, though one, has many members, but all of its many parts form one body, so is, it, so is it with Christ. Now, get this, I like this. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, therefore, for that reason, stop being part of the body, right? It's like, the, f- <laughs> the foot's like, oh, I wish I was a hand. Lord, how come you don't use me like you're using the hand? And he, right? I feel so insignificant, like I'm not even part. He's like, no, you need the foot just as much as you need the hand. Just because you're not a hand doesn't make you any less part of the body. The whole body needs each other, okay? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, think how weird that would be, right? Where would the sense of hearing be? That would be so weird, just one big eye up here, you know? No, it's weird. We want the whole body. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. He wants you to be whatever you're doing, if you're doing what you're called to do. If they're all one part, where, does the body, where would the body be? And as it is, there's many parts, but one body. So Paul's talking about diversity. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can't say the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack that, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Because they were, this was creating divisions in the Corinthian church. I want to be, all want to be prophet so-and-so, so let's all go speak in tongues and prophesy, because that's what we want to be. Paul's like, no, everything is important. And, and think of how, like, the unrepresentable parts. We got a truth honor. Like, think if you didn't have a heart. Like, the stuff you don't see. You see the people on the platform, but what about the heart or the, you know, the ner- central nervous system or just all these important things we don't even think about, right, that are so critical. Now, you're the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. So what's the point? We're all God's army on this earth. We all have positions of rank and gifts to accomplish our mission. It's important to be content to serve in the place the Lord's created for us and not to covet another person's position, which is what I was just talking about. Oh, I'm not a hand, says the foot. No, don't covet the hand's position. You be the best foot you can be because the foot is important. Otherwise, now this is where it gets, this is what I want to talk about with motives. Otherwise, if we're not content and we covet other people's position, you know what happens? Envy and selfish ambition, and then we perpetuate evil rather than good. Now, the, I'm going to give you some scriptures. The Bible talks about these two things over and over again because they were already a problem from day one in the early church. Envy and selfish ambition because of this very thing. Okay? So what I want to talk about 
Kingdom versus earthly motives. We already talked about the motive of the kingdom is love. What are the earthly motives? A couple that I'm going to focus on already said, envy and selfish ambition. Now, look at 2 Corinthians 10, 12. I like this. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We should not be comparing ourselves to Bonky or whoever else. Poor Bonky. I ble- Bonky's awesome. He's, I'm just using because he's so awesome. And he has, you see what I'm saying? If you start comparing yourself with someone else in the body, you're going to begin to envy, guaranteed. If they're, if they're doing better than you, quote unquote. Envying others will cause discontentment with the call of God in your lives and produce evil fruit. Now look at this. Talking about wisdom, look what James says about this. Chapter 3, verse 3 to 16. Who is wise? Remember, we're talking about wisdom. If you compare yourself, you're unwise. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Okay? But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, talking about motives now, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. This is serious stuff. This isn't just like, you know, it's easy for us, because we don't see people's motives. So we don't often think about envy. Every evil practice is going to happen if that's what's happening. Envy and evil and selfish ambition. Covening another person's position. Doing things to promote yourself doing things out of envy of someone else. So no matter how good it appears, if it's fueled by the motive of envy or selfish ambition, then you're building with fleshly, unspiritual, and demonic motives. Remember that God will test, this is important, he's going to test the motives behind our work on judgment day, and it'll all be burnt up if our work was done out of ungodly motives. A lot of those superstars I talked about in the final quest who Rick Joyner talked to and they're famous people on earth, most of them were in the least in the heaven because of motives, because of things you don't see with the eye. Okay? Now look, just to refresh your memory, this is, we're talking about the motives now. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 to 5. 1 Corinthians, rather. Now it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. We, that's what we're talking about. You have to be faithful with what God's entrusted you with. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not mean I'm innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what's hidden in darkness and will expose on that day the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So if your motives are good, that's awesome. You're going to get rewarded for that too. Now, I, I quoted 2 Corinthians 5.10 at the beginning. This is the amplified version. I love this because this is what it says. For the we believers will be called to account and must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what has been done in the body, whether good or bad. Now get this. That is, each will be held responsible for his actions, 
purposes, goals, motives, the use or misuse of his time, which Trisha talked about last week, opportunities and abilities. All of this we're going to have to give an account for. All of it. And that's what's sober. Like that's what pre, the verse after he talks about. It. So then what we, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Remember that? Talking about this stuff. This is what produces the fear of the Lord. This is what keeps us on the path of life. Knowing that everything we do is going to be exposed and we're going to have to give an account for it on that day. So we're talking about envy and selfish ambition in particular, because I think this is, we, remember, we're, we're talking about the five versus two versus one talent. This is really pertinent to what we're talking about today. Because you see the five talent person, and it's super easy, if you're not watch yourself, to get into envy, and now to selfish ambition, try and get the five talents yourself. That's why we have to, so what is envy? This is a, def, a dictionary definition. A feeling of resentful discontent begrudging admiration or covetousness with regard to another's advantages, possessions, or attainments, desire for something possessed by another. So why is this important? If we view the call of God through the eyes of the world, like I talked about this earlier, and its definition of success, then envy is unavoidable and will not be rewarded. Because this world, like I said earlier, always defines success in terms of results. So if we're not careful, and that's what we're aiming for, is to be uh, evangelist so-and-so out of envy or selfish ambition rather than out of love. Say you have an impact. If your motives are that, it's going to be burnt up. That's why this is so important. And not only that, it's going to produce every evil thing. I think this is one of the bigger problems in church because we don't see the, the, what's happening between, behind motives, and you see division, you see discontentment, you see envy. I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about in general. And what James says, every evil practice happens as a result of envy and selfish ambition. So, right, if you see factions and dissensions in churches, it could be a root of envy and selfish ambition, which is why this is so important for us to examine our own hearts. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why? Is it out of envy or is it to actually serve my brother or sister? We should not covet another person's positions or gifts, but we should be content and serve in the place the Lord created us. That's why I said there's so much freedom in this if you can get a hold of it. What has God called you to do? There is no better place on the face of the earth to be in God's perfect will for your individual life and to be walking in that. Anything else... Is, is you're not going to be content, you're going to feel unsatisfied, and you're going to walk through life wondering why things aren't going right because you're not doing what God's called you to do in some cases. Now, this is people who envy don't understand that we're all given different callings and gifts and graces to produce those callings. That's why I'm giving you all these scriptures. We need to understand it's all by grace. We're not all called to be the same thing. We're called to the glory of God to be different parts of the body, and that's awesome. It's all by grace anyway. Contentment is found when we find out what God has called us to and walk out that calling, not someone else's. If you're trying to be evangelist so-and-so, you're never going to be content. You're never going to be content. The only way you're going to be content is if you're doing what God's called you to do, because that's where your passions are. That's what God's called you to do. That's where your giftings are, right? When you, that's when you're going to be in the zone. The only person who you're competing against is yourself. 
That's an important key to grasp. We're not running someone else's race. You know what Paul always gives the analogy of I'm running the race God's given me? We're not competing against others. We're competing against ourselves. Are we fulfilling what God's called us to do? We have to compare ourselves to the call God's given us, not to other people's calling. So we're all going to feel kind of bummed out if we're comparing ourselves to Bonky, I'm assuming, or to Billy Graham. Or fill in the blank. All of us. Because we're not all winning hundreds of millions of people to Christ, are we? I mean, maybe you are. I'm not. You see what I'm saying? So if we're, we're going to feel deflated and, and discontent if that's who we're comparing ourselves. We have to compare ourselves. How am I doing to what God's called me to do specifically? Not to whoever else uh, uh, is running the race. Okay. Now look at this. This is all in the Bible. Like I said, this is, people did this to Paul. This is my point. People envied Paul and did things out of selfish ambition too. This is Philippians 1, 15 to 18. This is a scriptural example of this. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, and that's the key, right? Knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, the former, the people are envying, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives, remember we're talking about the motives of the heart, false motives are true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul is amazing. Talk about humility, right? The point is, you can preach out of good motives, out of love, or out of envy and selfish ambition. It might look good to all of us. Only God knows if that's their motives. And if that is, it's getting burnt up. Even if they produce fruit, if that fruit is from envy and selfish ambition, God is going to expose those false motives on the day of Christ all burnt up. That's why we got to check ourselves in these areas. So people desired Paul's success, and it was fueled. This is how they're related. Fueled by selfish ambition. What's selfish ambition? This is from Strong's Concordance. It's rivalry and ambition, okay? It's the act, uh, sorry, acting of one's own gain regardless of the discord or strife it causes. It places self-interest ahead of what the Lord declares is right or what is good for others. It's for yourself. We all know what ambition is. If it's selfish, we're doing everything for self-promotion, for our own reputation, whatever, fill in the blank, selfish ambition, this motive, according to James, if you remember, is only going to produce strife and open the door for every evil thing. It says every evil thing, not just some evil. Every evil thing is produced. That's the fruit of envy and selfish ambition. It's a serious thing. So what should we do in light of all this? That's a good question. I'll tell you what Paul says to do about it. This is Galatians 5, verse 16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's Paul's primary imperative. If we're led by the Spirit, each and every one of us, we're not going to covet another person's gift, because we're going to be led by the Spirit. He's going to tell us what to do and what we're called to do. And if we follow that, we're not going to give in to this envy and selfish ambition, right? Now look at, this is so interesting. Verse 19 through 21. Look at what he lists as the acts of the flesh. So the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He's calling envy and selfish ambition, he's putting in the same categories, witchcraft and orgies and drunkenness. That's how serious this is. So, you know, it's easy for us to look, oh, sexual morality uh, and drunkenness, that's bad. But how come this stuff is so rampant in the church and there's nothing being done about it? Like jealousy and envy, right? And selfish, it's the same stuff. It's in the same category. Now get this. This is how serious envy and selfish ambition is. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. People who envy... People who do things out of selfish ambition, people who are jealous are not going to inherit the kingdom. That's how serious this is. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And that's why I'm focusing on these two things. Of course, those are all bad. <laughs> My point is he puts them on the same, elevates them to the same badness as these other things that we think are so bad, which they are. Now, now how do, so what do we do about this? Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Envying. Like, this is a problem in the Church of Galatia, apparently. Right? Envy. Selfish ambition. If we walk by the Spirit, he says, that's how we overcome envy and selfish ambition. Why? Because the Spirit's going to produce love in us. If we do things out of love, that's the key, right? You just read 1 Corinthians, the, chapter, the whole chapter 13. You can speak with the tongues of angels, have faith to move mountains, prophesy the mysteries of God, give yourself up to do the most amazing things, but if, like, whatever... But if it's not done in love, it's all in vain. All of it. All of it is in vain if you're not doing it out of love. And what, So how do you love? Walk by the Spirit. It's intimacy with the Holy Spirit. That is the main key, and that's how we overcome this, if it's an issue and you've, you can see that self uh, in your own life. Okay, so get, get this. This is interesting. I just went dot, dot, dot. So I read for you, to you uh, the James passage, and if you remember, for where we have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. So he's talking about the wisdoms as earthly, sensual, and demonic. Now he gives us the heavenly wisdom, okay? So he says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So remember my question is, what do we do in light of all this? That's your answer. Walk in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit's produced. And, and I'm just going to go, here are the, some of the characteristics he just listed in James about godly wisdom. Godly wisdom builds according to God's will with a heart's, his heart's desire motivating the labor. Like David, he's a, he's a man after my own heart. Why? Because he'll do all of my will. It's pure. It's not two-faced. It's not outwardly looking good, but with an envious or selfish motive. Like, you know, if you're like, if, if brother so-and-so, right, just won the lottery or something or was royally blessed, and if you're like, oh, that's awesome, brother so-and-so, but inside you're like, oh, why did it happen to him and not me? <laughs> yeah? You see it? 
That is envy. So, so he's saying, no, that doesn't happen. Godly wisdom's pure. It doesn't have this double face. You genuinely are rejoicing with brother so-and-so that he won the lottery, right? Its motive is to be faithful to the Holy Spirit and to be obedient to the call or assignment he gives you. It's not to be the greatest, and that's what we talked about. Just as the Holy Spirit determines, he gifts different people. So the point is, if we're faithful to that, to, the, to his calling, to the Holy Spirit, then that's how you, you walk out godly wisdom. It rejoices at the advancement of the kingdom, whether it occurs through us or another. And I already talked about John the Baptist. John the Baptist rejoiced that more people were going to Jesus. And that's the same thing we should be doing. Like I said, if the church down the road's having a revival and people are flocking, we should be rejoicing. It focuses on the good of others, not on itself. Right? And that, we talked about in Peter how you use those, the grace to steward it to serve others. And it's rooted in the fear of the Lord, which is to place God's will above anything or anyone else. Okay, so I just want to finish on this. This is Paul's exhortation from Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mine. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And then right after this, he gives the famous verse talking about how Jesus humbled himself, right? Even though he was in the likeness of God, he didn't, he didn't try to attain equality with God. Instead, he humbled himself and became a man, right? So that we could all be saved. He came to serve us. And then, because of that, then he's going to be exalted to the highest place, right? And I quoted that earlier, that every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He is the depiction of humility. The whole point is to serve others. Okay. So on that note, this is, a lot of these messages, good for us to examine ourselves. Like, what's fueling your, mo like, you, you know, if you're serving, what's, are, do you see this in yourself, in other words? You don't have to, there's no condemnation, Right? But the point of these messages, if, it's, if you're feeling like, hey, that might be me, like, like I said, for example, if so-and-so's getting blessed, you're like, oh, how come that wasn't me, and, or whatever. If you feel like you've been envying in the past, or whatever, this is a great time to repent, and that's the beauty of it. And I say this all the time, that, that we can repent. It's a beautiful thing as Christians. All we have to do is repent and follow the way of love. So if, this is, if, if, if you feel like this is something the Lord's been convicting you on, I just want to pray for us. And also just want to pray that we would get on track with what the Lord's called us to do. And if you weren't here in previous weeks, like I said, um, I talked about this before, how you seek the Lord for his calling on your life and that sort of thing. But why don't we pray? Lord, I just thank you so much for the freedom of the, that comes from the revelation that we are only called to do what you've called us to do, that we can't add to that calling. And Lord, I just ask as a result that you would give us the revelation and the freedom not to be trying to strive to be a five-talent person if you've called us to be a two-talent person. And likewise, if we're a five-talent person, 
not to boast in what you've done for us, but to realize that it's only by your grace that we're doing the five-talent thing. So God, I just ask if, if, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come and convict us. If there's um, been any envy or selfish ambition in our own hearts, I just ask that you reveal that to us. And I just thank you, Lord, that there's no condemnation, but that you just want to lead us back on the path of life so that, that we can do what you've called us to do and not have to worry about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so who are doing whatever else, but that, that we can be content in doing what you've called us to do. So Lord, I just ask for the grace, the grace to just help us to repent and to change the path. And, and Lord, that you would give us the fruit of the Spirit the motive of love, the motive of peace, the motives of goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I thank you, Lord, that we've crucified our flesh with its passions and desires in Christ and that we now live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. So I ask you to teach us how to walk in the Spirit so that we wouldn't fulfill the desires of the flesh as you promise, but that we would completely and totally fulfill all that you've called us to. I thank you, Lord, that you say if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin and, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, if, if there has been any envy or selfish ambition that you've revealed to us, Lord, I thank you as we come, come before you and confess that, that you are taking that away from us. And I ask in place of that, that you would fill us with, the, with love and, and gentleness and all the stuff that enables us to walk in the, in the Spirit. Lord, I ask if there's any of us who don't know what we're called to do, that you would, in the coming days and weeks, reveal so that we can do exactly what you've called us to do. And Lord, I just ask if there's people who have been feeling insignificant, they've been feeling like the one-talent person, that you would show them the glory that is on their life from the calling that you've called them, that nothing is insignificant if that's what you've called them to do. Help us to be content and not to covet others' ranks or authorities or positions. Lord, but help us to rejoice at the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, I just ask that your peace that surpasses understanding would guard our hearts and minds in Christ and that you give us the grace to walk this out. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So.